Welcome to Humanly Possible, a vlog and podcast series focused on the game-changing potential of creating human-centric workplaces. On this episode, we're joined by former NFL and former Uber leader turned people-first entrepreneur and stress coach Evan Singer. Evan has used his experiences to apply a human-centered approach to leadership, communications, performance, and well-being through understanding stress and evolving mindset and resilience. We chat about the individual human connection to stress and how organizations can inflict or alleviate stress on the system and its people. Evan, welcome to Humanly Possible. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. Me too. Me too. I um, I know you and I got connected because I think we um, we have uh, some synergies when it comes to um, the workplace and this concept of, of holistic well-being and mindset in the workplace. And so I'm really, really excited to um, have the audience learn more about you and some of the work you're doing. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're working on, and what makes you human. Yeah, uh, I love that question. Um, so to give a little bit of context, my whole career has been spanned across sports and tech. Um, so I kind of started in the golf space and advertising for TaylorMade Adidas Golf. Uh, I went to Uber for four years um, after I was at the NFL for three seasons. And so um, tech and sports has kind of been the thread. But what's interesting is I, and maybe this will funnel into my, the human question is I've always felt like I was a human amongst a robotic machine. Mm -hmm. And that's not to throw shade at, you know, colleagues or anything. I just felt like even from business school on, it felt like everyone was being taught and rewarded to speak the same way, talk the same way. And what was authentic to me was, and maybe this is what makes me human, is I always injected my personality into what I did. And so I didn't want to stand up in front of people and wearing a suit, even if I was wearing a suit. And saying what I thought people wanted to hear. I tried to make it really relatable um, and really funny and entertaining. And I think education with entertainment is something that I do in my stress trainings now. I do, you know, in my marketing. And so I guess to kind of, I kind of answered both questions like intermixed, but to kind of close out my, my path and how I got to here is in the, in the last year, I launched my own company uh, called Human Speak, which is, obviously aligns well with humanly possible and everything you're doing to build human centric workplace. So um, I called it human speak because that's really core to my being is how can we simplify things? How can we make it so that anyone can understand? And um, so I do marketing consulting and that's one big vertical. And then once COVID hit, I realized, holy cow, the work I did at Uber in the stress management space um, during all the craziness of 2017 is really a really needed now more than ever. And it was always a need, but with, you know, the uncertainty and, and scariness of, of a global pandemic mixed with this newfound routine of working at home and not really having 
set hours anymore and things blending into your personal time, uh, I built a second vertical, which is corporate stress management trainings. And I took what I did at Uber and I totally revamped it based on what I learned since then. And the 15 plus years I've had studying and practicing this stuff and the power of the mind. And I built a super fun, interactive 90 minute session to go deep on your own mind and how you can use it as a superpower instead of, you know, a stress inducing, uh, I guess, uh, what's, what's the opposite of a villain, right? The opposite of a hero is a villain, right? A lot of people see their own minds as their own villain. Mm. So, uh, so yeah, that's how I got to today. And I, that's why I'm so excited to talk with you because this is seriously my most, uh, I love talking about this because I've experienced a lot in my life. I had a best friend that died in overdose, um, to drugs who was experiencing depression. I've had mental health stuff in my family. And I've seen what's happened in my life since I've practiced this stuff. So I, I'm just, I love talking about this stuff. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm so glad to have you because this topic, I think gets to the, the center of, we talk a lot about well-being, right? And uh, we, we know it's the right thing to do to, and I always describe it as sending happier, healthier humans home. Like, I feel like employers have mm. such a responsibility to... And I don't think employers or companies see themselves that way, that they're, they are uh, encapsulating a group of people for over eight hours every day. Uh, all of that seeps into family life. It seeps into our societies, into, into our communities. And so um, workplaces have a huge responsibility to create happier humans and send them home um, to build stronger healthier societies and, and communities. So this topic is so near and dear to my heart, but it also gets to like performance, right? So it gets mm -hmm. to the concept yeah. of how do we, how does, how do humans perform? We're not machines. So how can we use the power of mindset and um, regulate the mind and stress in order to be better performers and be happier? Uh, so that's why I, I like this topic, because I think it speaks to folks who are maybe more um, like metric driven, <laughs> because yeah. they want to know, well, why am I doing all this stuff to help employees? Well, it's the right thing to do. And um, there are ways to get better performance from people. So I'm curious yeah. to hear from you. Um, what were your observations at, you know, big companies at like Uber and NFL and the NFL? Um, you know, I suspect Uber being kind of a rapidly growing kind of startup into this ginormous organization and the NFL, um, which also I, I'm sure was perhaps a stressful job for anybody because it's such a, a visible brand. What were some of the things you yeah. saw and observed? The first thing I noticed is how different companies treat failure. And I personally don't love the word failure. Um, I actually don't believe that failure exists. To me, the only thing that failure is, is not learning from something that you didn't like the outcome. To me, that's the only failure. I like using the quote, it sounds cliche, but it's seriously changed my life is there's no such thing as failure only succeeding at finding out what doesn't work. Mm. And um, 
a lot of times different companies like the NFL or Uber, these big companies that everyone wants to work at, right? Uh, the way that the companies treat failure from the, from the top down has a huge cascading Im impact. So let me give you an example. Um, if one company has fear baked into the culture where you will be looked down upon, chastised for not hitting a number, right? Um, they, failure is, is not celebrated there. It's the opposite. Um, so what can happen in those environments is you can have a culture that's paralyzed by fear of failure because they don't want to experiment. They don't want to test things. They don't, creativity goes down because the last thing you want to do is not hit your number. So you end up hearing th things like this a lot, which I can't even tell you how many times I've heard quotes like this. You'll hear things like, well, that's how they did it before. That's mm -hmm. how we've always done it in past years. Well, we've never done it that way, or that's not my job, right? These, these comments that aren't really about big picture, it's about protecting the self, right? Where companies that celebrate failure, I'm telling you, I've experienced both of them. It is a game changer for culture, for uh, trajectory and opportunity and, and for innovation and creativity. Like, you know, at Uber, we're the fastest growing company in history. And because of that, you know, I, I, I always mix up these numbers. Let me see if I can get it right. I'm pretty sure that at the end of 2014, Uber had close to 700 employees. Um, when I joined in September 2015, um, there were 6,000. So close to 10x employee growth. And what happens when you grow that fast and when you have a tech company where there's a lot of young, talented people coming into the organization, you have more first-time managers than any company in history is what happened there. So now you've got these teams where this person was, I think we kind of talked about this when we first chatted is these people get four to five people put under them because they're an incredible contributor, but their individual contributions don't necessarily translate to being a good manager. And so now you've got all of these challenges. If you add in the fact that failure isn't celebrated and pushing the limits and asking questions and challenging status quo, obviously that's easier to do at Uber because that was the mission of the company. It was a disruptor. Um, but a lot of companies don't uh, celebrate that. And so, you know, every, most issues can get rooted back to fear in some realm and fear of failure is one of the biggest detriments to good culture and great business results, in my opinion, and my experience. Yeah, and what, what you're really talking about there is um, systematic, I mean, I'm, my background is organizational psychology. So I always see the organization as a system, you know? And so you can, um, you can say one thing, but if the system doesn't support it, you're not going to drive the behavior or the outcome that you intended to. So I think where organizations fail is, you know, they say one thing, they do another, or they say one thing at the top, the very, very top, maybe 50% of the top agrees with it, but the other 50% does it. And then it just gets permeated in an inconsistent way and you still don't get the outcomes you want. So I think what you're speaking to is, does the system support 
um, things like failing? Um, and does the system support people to, um, like my good friend Alex Draper says, to fall off cliffs, not, or to fall off curbs, not cliffs. Mm, yeah, so, like you know, fail fast, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and how, how is that generated? Um, and so I'm curious to know, so that's kind of your experience at Uber and you saw this rapid growth, not a lot of, um, you know, prep for first time leaders and training them and, um, or, you know, selecting them, right? <laughs> because yeah. they didn't have the leadership skill set. But what about the NFL? Because I'm so curious to know because you have like a, it's basically, it's a sports team, right? And there's like, there's the NFL culture, but then there's like performance with your athletes and there's like cultures within teams. So I'm really curious to know what your experience was like there. Yeah, the NFL is really interesting and unique. I still have a lot of great friends that are there um, because the league is, you know, a thousand or so people uh, that are running everything from digital media, you know, NFL.com, mobile apps, fantasy, which is what I was on. And then there's, you know, clubs, the teams and the teams are individually run teams, but the league supports them. Right. And so a lot of people see these NFL franchises as like these huge operations and like unbelievable brands. And they are, but they're not big teams. Like it's kind of a startup. It's kind of run like mini startups within the crazy umbrella that is the NFL and the shield. So that's really interesting from a priority standpoint, right? And, you know, the challenge at a place like the NFL is there's so much, and you see this on the PGA tour too. There's so much um, money. There's so much money in, the product they sell and the rights of that product. So the TV rights specifically that, you know, most of everything else you do outside of those rights and sponsorships you sell doesn't move the business as much. And so when you think about prioritization, it's really easy to prioritize the business movers, right? And you know, in 11 years of my career, I've been through 16 reorgs and five or six layoffs. And I've seen good culture. I've seen toxic culture. And um, it's, it's kind of crazy. And we can get into this if you'd like, but it, it's wild that this happened at the NFL. I've seen it at Uber that, you know, it's this crazy cycle about, um, I feel like ego is such a, I feel like ego wastes more money in, in corporate America, maybe in the, in everything, but definitely corporate America than maybe anything. Because what usually happens is a new leader comes in, they're operating out of the lens of their experiences and the people they've worked with and the upbringing they had. So of course, if you've had success previously, you want to replicate that. That's human nature, right? But then what happens is everyone wants to put their stamp on something and say that they, they reversed it. They turned it around. They know how to succeed, which could very well be valid, right? That's, that's normal. Um, but then what happens is every time you have a change of personnel, you have a change of structure. 
and a change of structure, you said something about lack of communication. I think on my website, I have, I think over 80 to 85% of stress in organizations is caused by ineffective internal communication. So that means an organization is inflicting stress on itself over 80% of the time. Um, so what I find with these situations in terms of like reorgs and ambiguity and change is they don't do a great job always of expressing the why and they don't always provide the managers enough information. So you end up having these conversations with the managers looking at their team like, hey, I have as much information as you right now, right? Which, you know, it's kind of comforting to hear, but at the same time, it's like, what, right? Like, so that's something that I think a lot of companies could do better is it's hard to message every employee, especially at an Uber that has 20,000 plus employees but prioritize the managers, right? Like put in trainings for the managers, communicate, over communicate with the managers because those are the people that are moving your business because a good manager usually has great performing teams. Bad managers usually lose people and it leads to attrition, right? I think that's another 80% stat. Over 80% of people leave their job because they don't like their manager. So- I, I, I kind of blacked out there. I don't even know if that's what we were talking about, but it makes, it makes me think a lot about how reorgs and organizational structures and mm -hmm. systems, to your point, have such a crazy impact on everything, yet all I keep seeing is more reorgs and more of the same without really giving people the tools. Again, that's why I'm so passionate about the stress stuff and the mindset training is because I feel like we keep grasping straws to this new process, this new person, this new structure, this new thing. Yet every person I talk to at every big company around the country, most likely will say work's a mess. Hmm. It's crazy. There's so much craziness at work. And it's like, is there anything that's not crazy? Right. That goes back to like your own training to understand, but you know, I, I, if, if executives got this type of training and actually integrated it into their organizations, I guarantee you, they, if you focused on the people, the, everything would take care of itself. Yet it's easier to focus on week over week, month over month business metrics. Yeah. And that's, I mean, to kind of bring it full circle, I think you kind of connected the dots with stress in this, how we create stress in the system as leaders, you know, are we, are we simplifiers for people or are we complexifiers for mm. people? And so I think a lot of leadership is, you know, it, it's a skill that you have to build as a leader to simplify things, to take all this information and say, okay, let me distill this down into something that makes sense and is aligned with where we're going. Let me describe it. Let me, this is where storytelling comes in, right? Let me create a narrative around this, connect the dots for you, for the team. And those are the types of leaders who are successful because they lessen the stress in the system. They simplify it. And yep. if you don't have a leader who can do that, you are creating more complexity. And then like times that times, you know, 300, 500 leaders, that's, that's where you get the organizational complexity and confusion and 
and uh, stress. Yeah, let me give you this fun example. I think I've used this in the training before, Angela, where uh, imagine the same manager and employee. And let's say the employee's numbers are down. There's two ways to handle that situation. Scenario one is the manager comes in and says, your numbers are down. What the hell is going on? We need to get those back up. Like, what can you do to reverse this trend, right? Scenario two is, hey, I noticed the numbers were a little down. Is everything okay? Right? Like, that is a simple change of language. But think about the impact and the emotions and the feeling you have as an employee in in those two scenarios. One is fear. I got a target on my back. Nobody's helping me. I better, I'm like stress, right? Two is this person cares about me. And at the end of the day, I know we're going to talk about leadership a little bit. To me, good managing comes down to this person has my back. That's it. And if you feel like your manager has your back, they still need to be able to have tough conversations, but they do it out of the way of, I know you can be and do so much better. I'm seeing these areas that I think you can be so much better in. I'm going to help you get there. But I really need you to work hard in these areas. Boom, right? I was up front. I was firm, but I did it out of a way of, of love and support, you know, where at the end of the day, if you keep focusing on the numbers and not the people driving those numbers, you're going to have scenario one and not scenario two. Yeah. I think you bring up a good dichotomy, which is, I always say clarity and kindness, Mm. right? Uh, Leadership is not, leadership is not just all fluff and the soft stuff. And it's not all the, you know, it's not also, you know, aggressive, management either it's also not delegating and and throwing things down to your team it's being clear with your expectations and helping people fill fill gaps and so you bring up a great point asking the question is everything okay do you have the support you need are the structures are the systems in place to help you with this not a lot of leaders do that not a lot of leaders first look at at themselves to say what have i done what have i made that was maybe unclear that pro- produced this outcome. Um, so yeah, I, I love, so we've kind of talked about stress in the system. We've talked about the leadership role. Now, you know, I'm a firm believer that, organ- again, organizations need to fix those things. Like they can't keep stressing people out, like reduce the stress in the system. But for the individual, right, who is um, the individual or the leader who is perhaps working in a stressful scenario, how do you, how do you reposition the mind and that stress? And what are some tactics, I guess, that you've learned that you um, train in your program around the power of mindset and regulating emotions and mental state? Yeah, absolutely. So why don't I give a little bit of context of how I even got to training. Cause I think the story is helpful. Um, and then I can get into some tactics really quick. So the, uh, in 2017, if you remember, right, there was sexual harassment, uh, investigation 
internally, there was lawsuit from Google CEO had to step down, right? Every week there was a new story that came out and suddenly internally the culture went from, I'm so proud I'm wearing my like Uber jacket or backpack. Now you don't wear that in public anymore because your reaction, it went from, oh, you work at Uber to, oh, you work at Uber, right? So as an employee, you know, that of this mission-driven, crazy, fast-growing, like builder community, that's tough because I've never worked with smarter, more passionate people. Um, so in 2017, I was leading a team of four and uh, culture scores were at an all-time low because all this craziness was happening. Makes sense. But my team had one of the highest culture scores on the West Coast and my GMs pulled me aside after the results came out and they're like, what's going on here? And so long story short, I was asked to create a training and you want to talk about stress. <laughs> it would have been easy to be stressed about creating a training on stress with your peers, right? Cause I'm just one of their peers. Um, but I was lucky to have had this training for 15 plus years myself that I've been practicing, you know, since I was 16, um, where that cascaded to my team. So the proof was in the pudding. So I created a training for the whole West Coast of ops and marketing people. And it went really well. I ended up being put in contact with the people development team. And I ended up informing our global culture rollout in partnership with Ariana Huffington's company, Thrive, who's a board member. Uh, this global culture program rolled out. I helped inform and, and roll that out in the West. So here I am years later and doing my own training. So in regards to what tactics were there, what makes the biggest impact? Well, my training has three sections. The first is understanding stress. So unpacking what it actually is, because what, what a lot of people use stress as a catch-all for anything you don't want to happen. When really that's not what stress is. To me, stress is, um, it is my ability to manage the situation with the perception that I don't have the resources to manage it, the perception, which is key. And usually that situation is something you care about. So it's just feeling like I don't have the resources to handle it, right? That's all it is in my opinion. Um, and so the second section is understanding others. The third is understanding yourself and your own mind. And so I think empathy, talk about empathy a lot. It sounds cliche to talk about, um, let me, let me talk about how to make empathy something that you can actually become, personify, use. Um, my personal coach taught me this and it is a game changer. So I'm excited to share this. So um, she said something to me one day where she said, be the host. And this, this helps build empathy. This helps work with others. So you ever been to a party, Angela, back when we had parties? And let's say you walk into a bar or a house party or something, and you don't really know anyone or a wedding or wherever you're going. And you kind of feel, it's kind of like that feeling back in high school or middle school where you're like, these people, like, I kind of, it's embarrassing. Like, do people see me that I'm by myself? I don't know who to talk to. Am I just going to sit in the corner? Right. That's very me focused. Mm. And that's easy to do because our brains are wired to see threats the same way that a tiger is coming at us to kill us, right? Our brains 
are not that evolved. Our minds are evolved. So our brains see threat, 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 and boom, cortisol and stress hormones happen because they are designed to see threats. Um, our job as humans with evolved minds, trained minds, is to recognize that as it is and reset in a way that, oh no, that's just the old pattern. I can handle this or look at this any way I want, right? Um, so be the host, what does that mean? Well, think about a party you're hosting versus a party you go to, right? Party you're hosting, you're walking around with a tray, you're coming up to people, hey, is there anything I can get you? Hey, how's it going? You're kind of like, you know, you're work kind of, yeah, you're working the room, right? Mm -hmm. And some people may say, well, that's easy. It's your party. You know, everyone, they all know you, but you really can't, I've done this. So I went to a wedding. I didn't know anyone. Um, it was just an old coworker from Uber, me and her went um, to see our old bosses get married. And everyone thought we were dating. We're not dating. We were just friends. And so there was this funny dynamic of, you know, constantly feeling like I was going to stand on the side. I remember almost worrying about this going in. And I said, I'm going to be the host this weekend. So I walked up to people and I said, hey, how do you know the bride or groom, you know, and hey, I noticed that I love that tie, you know, and I, I love, and I know it's hard for people to, because most people will say they're an introvert right? Not many people admit to being an extrovert. Mm. Um, so most people, that's a hard thing to do. But if you try and be the host, what starts to happen is in like a work environment, it becomes less about, God, I can't believe I didn't get that promotion. They really had it in for me. I really deserve that promotion, right? Stress usually comes from a me when you start feeling overwhelmed or stressed, I guarantee you, you're thinking about yourself. If you go into the host mode, you'd be like, hmm, I wonder, that was probably a tough situation for my boss. I wonder if I can like help my boss in any way, right? Mm -hmm. Or I wonder what that person's going through. That must not have been easy for them. Maybe they have something going on at home that I don't know about, right? Maybe that rude email they sent was because they grew up in a household where their parents were really rude mm -hmm. and that's all they learned, right? So it's kind of a way to disarm the ego a little bit and start to like put others first. And I find that be the host is a great, almost fun exercise to, okay, experiment with it, treat it like it's your party and go and help others. And I I know people say the best way to help yourself is to help others. And that's a really hard place to go when you're feeling a lot of pain yourself, mm. but it really does work. The Dalai Lama wrote a book, the book of joy. Um, and he was in exile and all these terrible things. And he talks a lot about that amazing book, but be the host is a great tool for that. Yeah. I love that because especially when you talk about leadership, um, it kind of puts everyone in a leadership role, right? Yeah. Because they're kind of facilitating. And it's, you know, I mean, you brought up a good uh, example of a wedding or a social event, but it's also like a project. Mm -hmm. um, you Again, you don't have to be a leader. You don't have to be a host, but you can take responsibility and ownership 
and have some 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 level of control like right i think it also kind of puts you in a situation where where you're you're in control you're you're leading um and you're learning i think you also put yourself out there to be more engaged and uh and talking and 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 taking things in as you go so yeah that's a great tactic and what about um what about resilience because when i think about mindset and stress um and change right? Which we talk a lot about. And you talked a lot about uh, what happens when organizations don't do a good job at um, managing change. So how can one kind of think about their mindset of resilience? And again, what are some tactics or some some tips and tricks to create (laughs) real resilience in yourself or also your team and, and your organization? Totally. Yeah, it's a great question. So I find that um, most people, emotions are something that you are taught to hide. Our emotions are something that can spiral us out of control, right? Feeling stressed about feeling stressed. (laughs) Um, To me, one of the most life-changing lessons I've learned over the last 15, 16 years of practicing this stuff and now training is emotions give me information. Uh, let me tell you a quick story with Kobe Bryant. I watched this video that Kobe Bryant, um, he was being interviewed years ago and he said something that really struck me. He you know, got drafted out of high school. It was this phenom player. And as a rookie, um, I forget if it was in a game or a practice, but either way, it's both relevant. Uh, he shot was at the free throw line and shot five straight air balls, right? Now, I coach in golfers, and my podcast, The Par Train, is about using mindset on the golf course, relating it to life. Golf is very much like this, where um, if Kobe was a golfer, they would have continually berated themselves and said, oh, my God. I left high school to go to the NBA. I'm not good enough for the NBA. I stink. What am I doing here? Like, I got to get out. I can't. This is so embarrassing. I'm new on the team. I'm supposed to be. They spent a draft pick, millions of dollars on me. This is embarrassing, right? But Kobe didn't go there. Kobe thought to himself, okay, well, what's happening here, right? He didn't let the ego lead. He probably felt that at first, but... The skill is in the noticing and coming back. So he said, okay, well, what's happening here? Well, um, every shot was online, but every shot came up short. Why is that? Well, I shoot my free throws mostly with my legs. And in high school, I played one game a week for 35 minutes or whatever it is. And in the NBA, I'm playing a game a night, 60 minutes, right? Whatever it is. Not a big NBA guy. I come from St. Louis. We didn't have an NBA team, but a lot more minutes and playing every night, right? Um, he realized, holy cow, I just lost my legs. I don't have the conditioning in my legs necessary to sustain a full season and play my best. Mm. So he used a moment like that to inform his training regimen and what he focused on for the next year, which then propelled him to the player that he is today. What most people don't do in that situation is they get stuck in the, I can't believe I just did that. I stink. 
That's embarrassing. So that is an easy example. Going back to the emotions for a second, you know, I work with a coach every week. And if I'm in a scenario where I feel old emotions of stress or inadequacy or imposter syndrome, whatever it is, I, th- I don't think that I regressed. I think, oh, there's something still to unpack here and learn, mm-hmm. right? And so I am constantly observing. Now, this takes a lot of awareness training because what most people are in automatic thoughts and reaction the goal is observation, not reacting to me in life. The goal of everything is to be able to observe. So as you practice that, and we can talk about tactics to help with that if you'd like, but as you practice that, using emotions as a way to tell you where you're at, a compass, you can then use it to, to pull yourself out of it. So mm-hmm. a lot of people think that that's positive thinking. That's not necessarily positive thinking. Um, it's more about what, prov- what thought provides me a relief because at the end of the day, emotions are just thoughts that you think and right. thoughts are a choice. Now they're habits, they're patterns. It takes awareness to break out of that. But if you know that, oh, wow, that, that feels pretty bad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I feels pretty heavy. What I just thought. Okay. Well, don't go from feeling inadequate to feeling like you can take over the world, Mm. try and feel a little less inadequate, right? And so the emotion tells you where you're at. You think a thought, oh, that feels a little bit better. That feels a little bit lighter, feels a little less burdensome. And then boom, you think that thought, you move forward with it. You choose something that serves you, Mm. right? Versus the, the cycle of reacting and negative thoughts and stress that comes from it. Yeah, the, the one thing that, that made me think of was, um, so I think anybody can use that type of thinking. And like you said, I mean, I wish, I mean, you, you provide a whole training on this and coaching on it. So it takes time. It's like, it's training your mind. Um, and one of the things that I've been working on as a leader is uh, mindfulness and regulating emotions because, mm-hmm. um, I think you're absolutely right that emotions provide you with intel and information. And you have to know how to give yourself time to process them. Because I think sometimes what we do is we feel an emotion and we react versus we feel an emotion, we kind of let ourselves sit in it a little bit. And then maybe we put it to the side and deal with it later and process it and Mm -hmm. actually think it through. Um, but when you're in an exec in a boardroom or you're in a heated conversation or in conflict, uh, for, for some reason, we feel like we have to react all the time. So, uh, and another thing I, I, I acknowledge with leaders and when I'm coaching leaders is their emotions, their energy, I know that sounds really meta, but their energy reflects, you know, their teams take on that energy. So if I'm frazzled, if I'm talking at a million miles an hour, if I'm not mindful of what I'm saying, that that is going to be permeated into my team and they're going to react to that. They're going to feel that. So it just, yeah, it's it's such an important piece for leaders, especially to regulate their mind and, and their emotions because they're impacting other people. 
Yeah. And one thing that we do in my training is uh, we reverse engineer the worst case scenario. And if you, uh, so we get in groups and we talk about a time in our life that caused a lot of stress and pain. Um, but I would say 95% of the time when you have a really quote negative or stressful or painful situation or experience in your life, um, 95% of the time people say that was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Right. But in the moment it's very painful. So one of the exercises we do is we know that this will probably lead to something amazing that takes some faith and trust and some work over time to get there. But it is true. So when you start hearing these stories, right, could be a death in the family, could be losing a job, could be anything, health stuff. It usually leads to someone waking up. It could be choosing a path that they've always wanted. It could be an amazing learning, right? Um, I mean, I've had some pretty painful experiences as well. Everyone has, and I wouldn't be where I am today without them, hmm. right? So there is like, that's really important as a leader and as an individual and employee to remember that these things that are so the end of the world in the moment, hmm. when you start to operate in this world of belief and trust and faith that this must just be what I'm, I'm supposed to learn something here. So what am I supposed to learn? Right. At the end of the day, if, if you focus on learning, it unpacks so much amazing stuff because now you're aware of it and you're noticing little things. And if you know, it's going to end up leading you someplace, someplace great, then what are we so worried about? right? It's kind of like a movie. I like to relate to these types of conversations and these trainings to a movie. What movies do you like watching the best? Do you think the fire festival would have been an interesting documentary if that thing wasn't a total craze and pure pandemonium, mm. right? Like movies, we like movies that are conflict. I mean, think about it, Angela, like would I even be able to be giving these trainings today if Uber wasn't going through the craziness that it was like, what's the alternative mm -hmm. that all of our managers are amazing. All of us are successful and we never have conflict with each other. Then I would have no stories to tell. I would have no learnings. There would be nothing interesting. Nobody watches. Nobody likes that story. Everyone wants to see someone that's at the top fall and they want to see him climb back up. Right. right? So when you remember that, I sometimes remind myself of that, of like, this is my own story, right? And Julian Edelman said this to Tom Brady when they were down, I think, 28 to three in the Super Bowl of the Falcons. He said, this is gonna be one hell of a story. And that is an amazing tactic and affirmation to tell yourself of like, it might feel bad right now, but God, this is gonna be one hell of a story in three years when we look back on it, right? I love, I love that. And um, I think that's a, a great close to our conversation because that that is that is a great mindset framing um mm -hmm. to say you know 
Um, I'm ready for the ride. I know it's not going to be perfect. I'm going to learn along the way. And I think bringing this back to the broader picture, which is individuals, leaders, organizations, I think however organizations can create that kind of growth mindset um, in the process, it's only going to help individuals with building that muscle around that brain muscle around those tactics. So anything else that you want to mention just around this work as a whole or anything to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I mean, I think the last thing I'll say is, and thank you again for having me. I think the biggest mistake people make in life (laughs) is in this line that they tell themselves. It is, quote, everything will be okay once X is over, Mm. right? So you say that in college with exams and homework, and guess what you wish about now? You wish you enjoyed college more, right? Most people at the end of their life say, I wish I enjoyed it more. I wish I worried less, right? So that to me is the secret is when you're in something that feels tough, use it as information to evolve yourself and grow even more. And again, think to yourself, it's going to be one hell of a story and embrace it, right? Because I've seen so many people close to me that go through life reaction after reaction, hoping after hoping that the next thing's going to bring what they want, when in fact, they've been missing the point altogether. They've been letting others and external scenarios dictate their well-being when really we have a choice. I've lived it, you know? Um, So that's what I would say. And if people want to, if, if you're into golf, you like golf, you, and you like this conversation, you'll love the par train podcast because we talk about the stuff, but in reference of golf and then obviously humanspeak.com two E's, um, not EA. Um, my stuff about corporate trainings is on there and next month is, I believe mental health awareness month. So I'm doing some special pricing and stuff for people just because I want to impact as many companies as possible. And I want to make the price a no brainer. Um, so if people are interested in that, um, I would love nothing more than to run the 90 minute session and hopefully give their folks and employees the tools that we talked about today so that they can feel comfortable amidst chaos, right? Cause that's the key. Yeah. Well, Evan, you've given us so many golden, um, <laughs> nuggets here, um, couldn't find another word for that, but you know what I mean? Just insight and brilliance. Um, and I will make sure to include all the links to your website, to your podcast, so folks can can access and reach out to you. Uh, but this is such a timely topic. And I know we're amidst a pandemic, so it seems super timely, but I think this is a topic that needs to be talked about even after we get to a place of uh, normalcy. I'm doing this in air quotes here. so. Thank you, Evan, so much for joining. And I'm sure we'll have you back to talk more about this. Um, Thank you for this initial conversation. Thank you, Angela. Have a great rest of your week.